the fact is, is that there is nothing quite like the um, pomp and circumstance, the experience of going to a movie theater where somebody is presenting something to you. Someone is making the choice. You've chosen the movie you're going to watch, but you're going into their house and you're going to experience it their way. This is the Box Office Podcast. I am Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, a publication exclusively dedicated to covering the theatrical exhibition industry. Joined today, this week, once again, with one of our co-hosts, Rebecca Pauly, deputy editor at Box Office Pro. Rebecca, how are you? We're, we're chatting on a Monday, uh, you know, always semi-restful weekends that we have. How, how was your weekend? Um, yeah, post Super Bowl Monday, I uh, I didn't didn't stay up and watch it. I watched uh, I watched the Puppy Bowl, and then I watched the new documentary on Britney Spears. So I, I think, unlike a lot of our listeners, I got a lot of sleep last night. So, how about you? Did you watch it? No, no, I I, I don't uh, have too much interest for for American football. And as we know, the Super Bowl in Film culture is always an important launching pad for movie trailers. Uh, I have to tell you, Rebecca, I've lived uh, many years in this country. I think at this point, probably more than half my life here in the United States. But one of the aspects I I still can't assimilate or, or adapt to is the uniquely American trend of watching a sporting event for the commercials. Uh, that's I, I still don't get it. But uh, people people dig it, and that's good for movie trailers, I guess, in terms of awareness. All the advertising trailers or, or just commercials show up the next morning, if not actually before the big game. So there's there's no if there ever was a reason for me to watch it live, they're in one now. But uh, yeah, this uh, this last Super Bowl, understandably, uh, we didn't really see a ton of of trailers. I think it's useful to to break down the TV spots we did see, the studios that we saw them from, and uh, what we didn't see. So in terms of film films, you know, films coming to theater, we saw new TV spots for Old, the M. Night Shyamalan from Universal. This is the uh, the first time we're seeing anything from this film and uh, typical Shyamalan fashion. It's kind of shrouded in mystery up to this point, and it looks really interesting to me. We saw a new TV spot for F9, a new TV spot for uh, Nobody, a kind of John Wick-esque thing uh, with Bob Odenkirk. Again, I believe that's the first bit of marketing that we've seen for this title. Uh, and then a TV spot for Ryan and the Last Dragon. So that's three Universal films, uh, one Disney film, and you know, interestingly, all four of those films are films that are operating under a non-traditional theatrical exclusivity window. Obviously, uh, Universal has their deal with most of the major exhibitors in North America uh, that the window will be shortened. Uh, and with Raya and the Last Dragon, Disney is releasing that day and date uh, in theaters and on Disney+. Plus. We didn't see Black Widow, which I was kind of seeing some concern over that, whether it means they might move it again. It's the phrase we've said so many times over uh, over this last year. We just don't know. Yeah, I think that's a legitimate concern when it comes to Black Widow. Two possible explanations for that. One is the Raya and the Last Dragon trailer that aired during the Super Bowl promoted both a theatrical and day-and-date Disney Plus PVOD release. Uh, 
Uh, as we know, Black Widow, as of now, doesn't have that hybrid strategy. So in terms of spending the money to advertise in the Super Bowl, it looks like Disney prioritized that March 5th date of something that is going day and date to the home and to theaters. Now, Rebecca, just because we didn't see a Black Widow trailer this year doesn't mean that there haven't been any Black Widow Super Bowl trailers. Last year, there were six movie trailers aired during the Super Bowl broadcast, Black Widow being one of them. Interestingly enough, I think one of the reasons why we only saw four trailers this year is that of last year's six Super Bowl trailers, four of them have been for movies that still haven't come out. So that means trailers for Black Widow, F9, Minions, and Top Gun 2 all aired during last year's Super Bowl broadcast. These are movies that are still marketing towards theaters for an eventual 2021 release. And, and I should note here on the uh, on the F9 trailer, currently it is uh, it is slated for theatrical release on May 28th, putting it just a few short weeks after Black Widow's release. The Super Bowl TV spot did not say coming to theaters uh, May 28th. It said coming to theaters soon. So uh, Ooh, that's I, ominous. They're hedging their bets a little bit on that one. Old did say in theaters July, and uh, nobody did say theaters April second. But F nine, yeah. When I saw that uh, in theaters soon, that's concerning. A little bit of a cliffhanger, right? Well, it reminds me when when they did Tenet at Fortnite when when right. Tenet debuted their trailer at Fortnite, and it said in theaters sometime. And that was kind yeah, of a question yeah. mark after that. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a concern. And, and we'll be tracking that, of course, understanding that movies that need significant box office push are, are really dependent on the progress of the vaccine, on the progress of moviegoers coming back into theaters. There's really no way to test that unless there's movies going to theaters. So those May titles, Black Widow, and F9 still on the schedule, but I think there are still many questions as to whether they will premiere in their May dates or not. Now, in the interview segment of this week's episode, Rebecca, we had a pretty good conversation with two folks from Cinema Lab. That's a consortium of industry veterans that are reviving local cinemas, investing to get some local cinemas in, in communities across the country back up and running. Uh, we heard about their first project called The Bradley, a three-screen first-run cinema in Bradley Beach, New Jersey. Rebecca, this cinema as a site has been around for over 100 years, and they've actually been screening movies since 1925. Yeah, I, I love a good old movie theater, and I'm, I'm really happy that on this podcast we've been able to uh, to speak about some of them because to put it very lightly that the struggles that the entire movie theater industry is going through now it's the circumstances of it are very different than how it's ever been but a lot of these old theaters are used to times of extreme hardship so we'd like to welcome our guests luke parker bowles and brandon jones to the podcast guys thank you so much for joining us here on the box office podcast obviously we're a fan of all movie theaters and all chains of all different types, but um, just speaking for myself and I think Daniel as well, we do have a, a special place in our heart for the the older theaters that in many cases have been around since the very start uh, of exhibition in America. 
So given that, what's, uh, what's the history of, well, I'll, I'll call it throughout this podcast, the Bradley Theater, but it has had uh, many a different name over the course of its life. Well, we actually found this project from Michael and Nancy, who are the current owners of the, the, the Bradley, or were the current owners of the Bradley. And the, the theater itself, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, came to us through a couple different people saying that they were looking to possibly sell it. And one of Luke's friends and former colleagues, Ariana Baco, who's the president of IFC Films, called us because she really wanted to see something unique happen with it. And the legacy of the theater dates back over 100 years. And it started out as a vaudeville theater and then started screening films, I believe, in the 1930s. And it's actually been a centerpiece to the Bradley Beach community since its inception. Um, And it has a, a legacy. Even Jack Nicholson was an usher there at one time. So... There's a lot of history there. Um, it has been a one single screen theater, and we look to bring it up to date and make it a three screen theater. And we we went on sort of a day trip to see it because Ariana had reached out to me, and I think it was Brandon, myself, and colleagues. And within a second, we knew that this was something that had to be had to be restored, and was is metaphorically and geographically the beating heart of Bradley Beach. And knowing that Asbury Park's theatre had sadly closed down and that there was nothing, the nearest movie theatre to the Bradley is a 27-minute drive, it seemed like this was incumbent upon us, if nothing else, to to make sure that this theatre continued to live on. And that's such a concern, especially as we exit this pandemic. We hear it a lot in working class neighborhoods in New York City when a, let's say, a grocery store closes down, you create a food desert where there's really no place where people in local community can go get their groceries. The worst case scenario, I think, for for our sector exiting this pandemic is a culture desert where movie theaters are a consistent, low cost form of entertainment all over this country. And we really need folks to support them, get these movie theaters open. Otherwise, as you've noted, we might be in a situation where local communities have to drive 30, 45 minutes plus just to get that affordable out-of-home experience. Now, guys, coming in to take over this theater, it's not like you just decided one morning, hey, let's do this. Let's put a Kickstarter campaign on. You went through a more formal way Uh, through your entity, Cinema Lab. Could you tell us how that entity came to be, what the ambition is behind it, and your plans moving forward under that title? So it began with, uh, I'm based, you wouldn't guess it from the accent, but I am based in Montclair, New Jersey, proper Jersey boy. And there's the Bellevue Theatre here, which uh, we've been working on trying to bring back to life. And through that process and through uh, one of our colleagues, Patrick Wilson, the actor and demigod, we were introduced to Brandon Jones. And we loved working on the Bellevue. And we suddenly thought to ourselves, well, listen, this is much more fun than we thought it would be. Uh, And we are all big, big cinephiles. And we all began to see that, you know, we we did this pre-pandemic, but it became very clear that during the pandemic and looking to the back of the pandemic, that while the big box theaters are going to continue to exist, of course, there is going to be this trepidation about jumping back into them and that the 
that cinema viewing will become a more localized and more intimate experience as people test the water. And so we suddenly looked at, you know, that was then after the Bellevue, the Bradley quickly came up for me. We're like, wow, there are so many of these little theaters and not just for a land grab. We're not doing this for a land grab in the slightest. We're doing this because there are weather geographical, as I mentioned before, but just amazing buildings with so much history that have served communities. And and we get emails and calls from so many theaters. I mean, I I, I would guess, and Brandon can tell me I'm wrong, but I, I think we've probably been approached by more than 30 movie theaters across America, small ones, small ones saying, you know, this, our, our town is, is, is falling apart. I, our center is, is, is gone. And so it, it, uh, this is a very long winded answer. I'm sorry. That's what British people do. But it seemed very clear to us that this wasn't just a one-off. This was something, and not in a heroic way, we weren't going to save America, but if community and keeping people safe was going to be the way into getting audiences back into movie theaters, we wanted to be part of that solution. It, it kind of calls to mind uh, the late New Vision, which up until recently was a chain that kind of did something similar, taking on these kind of independent community-based theaters. And a lot of those Carmike locations that didn't end up going to AMC, New Vision also took over and had this sort of group ownership of it. It was an interesting concept, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and one that sadly, you know, now is, is no more. I kind of wanted to ask you about, you know, in the context of that, so many community theaters have suffered financially and have had to close down. What's the financial model behind this? What's the, the financial viability of it moving forward when you look at the type of cinema that so far, you know, the margins really haven't been all that great these past few years, even before a pandemic hit and made everyone close down. Yeah, I think there's there's truly a space here. And what makes our group uh, uh, unique is there's really five of us involved, including Luke, myself, Patrick, Vinny Adorati, and Andy Childs, who all bring a little bit different perspective on the cinema experience. But when we get messy and put all that on the table and we talk about being technology first and do you do food and beverage or not? Do you deliver it to your seat or not? You know, all of these components that are out there. And what's interesting now is that everything's new again and you can really pick and choose the model that you want that fits and you don't have, we don't have to have this legacy system that we start have to molding things into. We don't have an a building that we've been in for 10 years and all of a sudden go, oh, we want to do dine-in. Well, we have the ability now to craft and create the experience that that we think will fit that building and that community the best. And we don't plan on just being cookie cutter across each location. So we're going to be very, very selective. We want to get the Bradley off the ground first and foremost. Um, You know, work on our skills at being quality exhibitors and good neighbors and working within the community. And then we have some other opportunities that are are coming to us quickly uh, for all the reasons Luke said. We think the real estate's important. We think uh, offering food and beverage of some kind, whether that's uh, elevated concessions or possibly grab-and-go or dine-in, 
but certainly I think alcohol is a big part of this, right? Uh, being able to enjoy a cocktail, glass of wine, um, the margins are good. And so we want to make sure that we offer that. The other part of this that I think is really important is programming. And the distribution model is changed. It's it's not going back. We're not putting the toothpaste back in the tube. It, it'll look different six months from now and a year from now than it does today. But being able to program more consistently and not relying strictly on the peaks and lulls of just major studio films, but having uncommon alternate programming to serve the audience, to bring people in seven days a week for 12 months out of the year is really important to us. And I think some of those elements, you know, uh, Patrick's background, obviously, as well as being an actor, but he's also a, a very, very fine Broadway actor uh, and also is in a band. And he was very keen that there should be some live element to these theaters. So each of the theaters that we've uh, looked at either have prosceniums in their proscenium stages or the ability to adapt them to proscenium stages so we can have stand-up, so we can have a TED talk in there, so we can have you know a community event. We can have, I mean, Bradley Beach, there are a lot of gold star families, right? We would love to do events especially for them. I think it's looking at this in a different way and, and it goes back to that notion of, of post-pandemic, everyone wanting to be around people not necessarily that they know but to feel psychosomatically a little safer and i think if you can bring in that community aspect it doesn't feel like you're in the dark in a mall x brands cinema and you know just having that somewhat generic experience and talking about those communities you decided to enter the news of of your involvement with this cinema with a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, we're happy to report that it was successful. The original goal of $50,000 has been exceeded. I believe you're at around 60K right now. What are some of the insights or, or benefits that you found by going this crowdfunding route? Well, there was initially a sort of, I, I think, uh, not a cynicism, but a, a confusion by people that, well, you've got your money, why do you need to raise money from the community? And it was our way of wanting to make sure that the community had the ability to be part of it. It was flipping it the other way. We would, we would, have, been, we would have had the money anyway to get this going, but our way to show Bradley Beach that we were there and they, they get to be involved and they could have their name on a seat and that we weren't some you know, evil empire who was coming in to take over and I think that's really worked. It, whether we do crowdfunding or, or um, uh, in the future for other theaters, I think it's it, it depends on the the area. But I certainly think for Bradley Beach, it behooved us because it is such a community space. So that was the reason for it. It was it wasn't necessarily to get the money. It was to it was to allow everyone to be a part of this. Yeah, I, Luke, you said it very well. And I would add to that that the it, it's really offered us also an insight. So as we start talking to the audience within that community, we're already getting feedback on programming. And have you looked at this aspect? And have you talked about this? Or have you looked at the bathrooms or whatever? I mean, it, it's all over the board. But you start to peel back because we weren't in this theater for the last couple of years or even the last decade. So the audience is starting to give us so much institutional capital about the community, what's important to them, just through that feedback. And I'm sure we could flip open a 
Facebook page or Instagram and get that kind of feedback. But when you look at it from the the crowdfunding aspect, you're getting this feedback from people who are now invested in you. And you've got to be a really good steward of that information because, yes, it's important to put their name on the wall or on the back of a seat, but they've also entrusted you to do something with, with their money, whether it's $20 or $5,000. Yeah. And, and I think one of the other important things and something that is very much in our mandate is to make sure that in every case with every theater, there is a local that we know and can be a bastion for the theater. So we have at Bradley Beach, we have Ariana Bocco, who's there and who is part of our team and is will be there and available, you know, not every day. I don't want to... She has a job. She has another job. But <laughs> yeah, she's got a big job. <laughs> but but there are, for lack of a better term, boots on the ground, and that'll be the case. But you know, there are there are three or four that we would imagine we would be opening by the end of the year, early next year, and it's the same case. In our reaching out to the community, by and large, you'll find somebody who is in the film industry or who we've connected with who can be, we can be checking in with, you know, every day and seeing how everything is going. And so that there is a consistency of branding, of experience. If one of them's funky, it's like a virus. It, It kills the whole thing. And so we are very aware of making sure that we are transparent, accessible, and that we do a good job. Yeah, you know what else is great is that it has also shown the passion for people who want to go to the movies. And this is not, hey, I'm satisfied with streaming platforms. I mean, I want to get back to going to the movies. I can't wait to go to the movies again. And that's what, that's what I would share with all exhibitors out there is I know that this has been tough. This has been you know, beyond difficult for our industry. And, you know, we live and breathe this every day. But as we're talking to moviegoers and people who are thinking, oh, no, I don't have a theater to go to anymore. They are reaching out. Just can you hold on? Can you make it? We will be there to support you. So the the moviegoing audience may have truncated slightly. Um, It's our job as exhibitors to win them back and win them back because we have a better experience for consuming movies. Yeah, and I think, you know, a, a common question that we get is, well, you know, isn't that's because I know I know on your last show and, and you've talked about it a fair bit on box office is is about the HBO deal and and how that has how that can affect the industry. The fact is is that there is nothing quite like the um pomp and circumstance. The experience of going to a movie theater where somebody is presenting something to you someone is making the choice you've chosen the movie you're going to watch but you're going into their house and you're going to experience it their way right or i can sit in my basement and i can just choose whatever i want to choose inevitably the process of choosing whatever i want to choose means that in the end i end up choosing the lowest common denominator because i got everything and usually Mark Wahlberg's on, or Jason Statham. And you know what? I could watch Jason Statham until the cows come home. Put him in any oh, yeah, of really. Course. 
Put him, put him in anything. Put him in a box and just like hear him. Just, just listen to those dulcet tones, mate. Yeah, but there is, there, there really is something about that that I think is never going to go away. So that's what really gets us excited. Is that you know it's the same with theatre. It's the same with going to Broadway. It's the the same with somebody just you know going to somebody else's house. We've become too spoiled in having everything the way we want it, when we want it, how we want it. That's our, that's our generation. But to actually go and, and be presented with something, I think that's, that's what we're missing the most. And that's why we're on hand, as Brandon said, for these smaller theatres to, to do what we can to, to allow that experience to happen. We've spoken a lot on this podcast about the importance of a communal experience as it relates to movie going. But I think another element that you spoke of is there's a spontaneity to it. When you go to a movie theater, you never know what the audience is going to be like. Is it going to be a vocal audience? Is it going to, you know, what's the food going to be like? Maybe you go and see something that you don't know much about, but you trust programming. And and that goes into what you spoke about, about having a varied programming that goes beyond just films. You know, at a certain point, you want to put part of it into somebody else's hands and be surprised by the experience that you're getting. Oh, I love it. Yeah. uh, You know, I feel like A Quiet Place was the most interactive movie because everybody had to participate in actually being quiet. So, I mean, it went down. You had to eat your popcorn real carefully. (laughs) Real carefully. You couldn't move the straw in your glass or, you know, a server couldn't come in at a dine-in and take an order because all of a sudden we're all hunted now. You know, if that movie theater cannot become the target, right? And it just came to life that way. And there's a communal experience inside the theater, but also there's a there's a community that surrounds the theater itself, the actual location. And bringing people together, gosh, if we ever needed to come together, now's the time more than ever that where you don't need to sit and ask people their views on certain issues or whatever their lifestyle is. You can really just come and enjoy going to the movies. So, And that's the way it's always been. Yeah, rural emotions yeah. that aren't divisive or aren't, you know, just that, that pure experience that you get in a theater of, of hearing people. I mean, I remember going, and this is a, this is a real segue, but uh, I went to see the, I went to the premiere of United 93. And in the audience, this is pretty heavy one, but in the audience, they'd invited the families of the victims. And it's the, one of the most vivid painful i mean not painful for me bloody hell it's painful for them but at the end of the film we just sat in the dark with these families just wailing and just this guttural experience now i don't want to go to the movie theaters to experience that god god bless them but there is something that goes on in the dark that we have permission to do we have it's like going to the theater i have permission to have a cry if i'm moved by something and i'm not worried about everyone and that inner sanctum that safety place whether it's i love people who laugh too much in films not too much but i love people really because there's no judgment the judgments those who are getting on their phone or being stuffy (laughs) unwrapping their their obnoxious candy but you know, okay. Let me. I want to. I'll bring this. Uh, I'll, maybe I'll try to bring this energy up there a little bit. But the um, the vulnerability that you get when you're allowed to just express your emotions in a movie that nobody else is 
judging you for that. I, I love that thought. And here's my question. How many of you in the last year, after you've watched a movie streaming, have stayed and clapped? How, so many times after you watch a movie in a theater, the audience just, and not just festivals or premieres, but they you literally, I remember several movies before, and the audience literally claps after the movie. It stays interactive until the end, right? Yeah. And there's the surprise if you get credit scenes and things like that, that all of that is just missed. You and I went to see Knives Out together, and there yes. was, it was standing ovation, and it wasn't any sort of, you know, it's, it's amazing that. It's amazing. And that's the shame of it. Is I watch a really great film. It's Sundance right now, so I've been watching a lot of really great films. But at the end, I just sort of feel... It's over. I'm going to go on and I've been distracted. You turn the lights on and you're in your living room. It's, it's sad. It's sad. It's, sort of, it's, it's not fair on the film, to be honest. You know, I want to be able to say, to show that person that would normally be at the Eccles in, in Park City, or whoever it may be, that I, I was so moved. But then it's on to the next one. Okay, let's click it. Let's go to the next one. That's not how it should be. Mm -hmm. That's not how it should be. You don't have time to sit with it. I mean, some a lot of times on these streaming platforms, they don't even yeah. play the credits. Yeah. It's a shame. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I can't stand that either. Whenever USA or whoever's on, and it just zips down the side, particularly as a producer who like knows all those. This is a totally different thing, so I'll stop. But knowing the cast, knowing the the craft services person, and that they've done all that work for a credit, and then it just goes. <laughs> I was watching the Star Wars trilogy on some TV station the other day. I don't remember, and they cut off the credits to start the the next movie. And I'm like, you don't do that to no. John. Come on. <laughs> it's part of the film culture that we want to make sure we preserve uh, in, in some way, really under a completely new paradigm as we get ready to get out of this pandemic. Uh, part of this is facing new challenges. Now, Brandon, we know you, of course, not only through your role here at Cinema Lab, but we also know you through your role over at Film Frog Marketing. Uh, you have been working in the marketing space and exhibition for a number of years through large circuits, uh, understanding obviously the needs of uh, small independent locations right now through your involvement at Cinema Lab. There was something you said earlier. It's not like before where you open a Facebook page and there we go, that's what I did, the community's there. And there's a lot of those changes I think for our uh, marketing uh, colleagues listening to this episode, working in exhibition right now, for them to start rethinking their approach to the CMO or the marketer's role for cinemas. In your perspective, what are the biggest challenges facing cinema marketers at the other side of this pandemic? Yeah, you know, Daniel, I think the last time you and I sat down face-to-face -face was in Miami a couple years ago at Show East. We had a, we sure it was a nice cocktail or a, or a coffee or something. We And we started exploring. $38 coffee, uh, right. yes. I, I, I expensed that $38 Thank coffee. Thank you very much. I'll uh, I'll get back with you. Um, <laughs> but I, I feel, let me just throw it out there. I feel exhibitors have gotten lazy in marketing their theaters. And because we became amplifiers to the studios, and I give the studios all the credit in the world for being the best content creators and making it really easy. And then there's this idea that we just were selling the movie, but everybody in the space was selling the movie. So as an exhibitor, I really think we've got to get back to sharing what's special about the movie 
theater experience. And each exhibitor has a story to tell. What I love about kind of the small to mid-size exhibitors, if these are family-owned businesses, there's a legacy in these businesses. And we've got to get back to not just selling a seat and saying it's a better seat, because now that's table stakes. The move, Everybody knows the movie is playing. We've got to really tell the story about why that business is important, why that, that experience is better. We, we don't talk about no distractions enough. Um, we don't talk about the immersive sound and picture enough, but we also don't talk about how that particular theater is giving back to the community in a very specific way. Paul Gunsky at Cinelux, you know, they're big providers of Second Harvest in Northern California. Share that story. For the exhibit, you know, Studio Movie Grill, obviously I was there for more than seven years. Really big in giving back and opening hearts and minds. Um, from prom dresses to giving movies and meals through their loyalty p- program. You know, Synergy Entertainment out in West Texas, you know, doing everything they can for first responders and teachers, you know, that became really important to them. Uh, Maya Cinemas going back and, and really developing in underserved communities. I mean, who else is building a 16-screen theater in in some of these communities like like Maya Cinemas is. We've got to share these stories as exhibitors about why it's so important. The movie is important. It's the driver. But the experience of going to the movie at that particular theater is important. Share your story and also talk about the business that you're running. Those are the type of things that I think really galvanize us together. To circle things back around and finish out with the Bradley, what still remains uh, to be done for the theater in terms of renovation, construction, and what's your timeline for reopening? So one of the great notches on our belt is partly Andy Childs, who was one of the people who started Soho House. If you're not familiar with Soho House, it's a private media club. But but more importantly than Andy Childs, because we don't like to give Andy any plaudits, right, Brandon? <laughs> no. His wife, Kristen, uh, was actually the interior designer for the East Coast Soho houses. So there's, you know, there's Toronto, there's Soho House New York, there's Soho House Miami Beach, and has an incredible um, ethic and, 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 and taste. The reason I bring that up is that we are going to spend several months really sort of, not that we don't love how it looks now, but we, there is a look and feel that we, we ascribe to. So we plan to close this deal in I would ideally next week, maybe in the next couple of weeks. I mean, all everything is signed. All the pieces are, it's now just lawyerage. You know, lawyers like to take a little bit of time just to, you know, it, they have families to feed and vacations to take. But we would be, we want to be up and running in time for the, for the, the big films and the, the smaller films in the summer. So we will have a, months of, First of all, we're turning the Bradley from one theatre into three theatres. We're putting in a lounge. We're putting in a new concessions. We're giving it our, our look and feel, a new marquee. So there's a lot to do, but it's really exciting. This is the great thing about smaller theatres, right? You really can take the time. You really can think through the experience to so much more of an extent. Listen, big box theatres do what they do. But the logistics of not only thinking about the look and feel, but also the 
organization of the staff and picking up the food and where, where how does the food get served and all of that that complexity. I think right now it's about providing a safe, relatable. Do I want somebody coming in bringing me my food coming out of COVID in the dark? I don't know. Maybe I just want to keep it simple for now. Maybe we just have elevated concessions and we have alcohol and I've picked it up and I've taken it to my seat. I do think that we are on the cusp. It's the right time. And I think it's I think we are by no means geniuses. Brandon has genius on his business card, but I, yeah. I don't. But we do feel that this is the right time to sort of reimagine from a community standpoint the theater experience. So the short version is we'll be opening in, in the summer. <laughs> You're making me want to go to Montclair. I have no, I don't have a car. I have no clue how I'll get there, but maybe I'll all speaking that we all have English accents here. Please come along. You're boring <laughs> as hell. And if well, we invite you to dinner, it takes seven hours. Will I come back to New York with an English accent? Is that how that works? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sold. Yeah, or Jason Statham accent, and then you can go and like get on the subway and beat up some Russian mafia people. Guys, thank you so much for joining us uh, on this episode. We're really looking forward to, to visiting the theater in person. Uh, obviously, I think Rebecca and I are particularly looking forward to get out of New York for a bit uh, as soon as possible. Right now, there is a very big thunderstorm here in the East Coast that is keeping everyone indoors. But uh, hopefully come summertime, warmer weather, movies, we're all looking forward to it. Uh, once again, thank you so much, Brandon and Luke from Cinema Lab, to speak about their new project, The Bradley. It's a great honor. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Dan. Well, thanks once again to our guests this week, Luke Parker Bowles and Brandon Jones from Cinema Lab. The Box Office Podcast is produced and edited by record, edit, podcast, and Caitlin. This week's episode was written by myself, Daniel Luria, and my colleague, Rebecca Pauly. Thank you again for joining us. Mm -hmm.